Amen. All right, well, we're back uh, in the book of Numbers. We took a little break from the book of Numbers due to the holidays and holiday sermons and things like that. But we're back in uh, Numbers chapter number 20. And of course, we've been going through a sermon series called Wilderness Wanderings. And it's a chapter by chapter study through the book of Numbers. And uh, this morning, we find ourselves here in Numbers chapter 20. And we're actually going to deal with the first part of chapter 20 up to verse 13 this morning. And then we'll deal with the second part of chapter 20 uh, tonight. What we see here in Numbers chapter 20 in the first part is a very uh, famous passage of Moses striking the rock. And what we're going to see is really Moses at his lowest time, at his worst time. And actually, as, as a result of this event, uh, God punishes Moses by not allowing him to enter into the promised land. And we're going to look at the story and, and learn several things from the story that we can uh, apply to our own lives. However, before we get to that, I do want to just by way of introduction show you that here in the book of Numbers, there's, in a, there's a major transition between chapter 19 and chapter 20. There's a major transition in the book of Numbers that you may not notice if you're just simply reading through it and, and not thinking about it as you're going through it. But I'd like to show it to you. Uh, this morning, just so you are aware of the context in which we are in the book of Numbers. So you'll notice there in Numbers chapter 20, the chapter begins with the death of Miriam. Of course, Miriam was Moses' sister. Uh, Aaron is Moses' brother. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 1, the Bible says this, Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month. And I want you to notice that in Verse 1, we're told in the first month, but we're not told in the first month of what year. And so you're kind of left hanging with this, you know, the first month of what year. And the people abode in Kadesh, and then I want you to notice this little phrase, and Miriam died there and was buried there. So here, Numbers chapter 20 begins uh, with this uh, major death. Of course, Miriam is a major uh, character in the life of Moses, and we're told that she died. She died there and was buried there, and we're told that it happened in the first month. What year? We're, we're not sure. The writer doesn't tell us. We're just told that they came into the desert of Zin in the first month, and the whole people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now, what's interesting about that is that in this same chapter, towards the end of the chapter, and we're not going to deal with this this morning, we're going to talk about it tonight, but in verse 28, if you'll go down to Numbers chapter 20 and verse 28, you'll find that not only does Miriam die at the beginning of chapter 20, but also Aaron dies at the end of the same chapter. Numbers chapter 20 and verse 28, the Bible says this, And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them upon Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there in the top of the mount, and Moses and Eleazar came down from the mount. So I want you to notice that Miriam died in the first month, uh, but we are not told of what year. And then Aaron dies later in the same chapter. Uh, now, the Bible does tell us, in fact, the book of Numbers itself tells us when it is that Aaron died, not here in chapter 20 when he dies, but we're told later on in the book. Let me just show that to you real quickly. You're there in Numbers 20, flip over to Numbers chapter 33. Numbers chapter 33, if you would, and look down at verse number 38, Numbers 33. And verse 38, the Bible says this, And Aaron the priest went up into Mount Hor at the commandment of the Lord and died there. Notice these words. In the 40th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt in the first day of the fifth month. Now, if you were with us when we started the book of Numbers, 
you know that at the beginning of the book of Numbers, we noted the fact that the book of Numbers pretty much takes place uh, within the first year or couple of years of the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. And these stories that take place up to chapter 19, when we're talking about the narrative aspects of the story, because we've got a lot of laws and ordinances and things that are given, but all of these t- the, those things took place early in uh, the wilderness wanderings of the children of Israel. In Numbers 33 and verse 38, we're told that Aaron, the priest, went up to Mount Hor and the, as the commandment of the Lord uh, and died there. And then we're told when Aaron died, that he died in the 40th year after the children of Israel come out of the land of Egypt in the first day, notice these words, of the fifth month. So we're told that he died on the first day of the fifth month of the 40th year, and Aaron was 123 years old when he died in Mount Hor. Now you can go back to Numbers chapter 20, and let me just say this. We know from Numbers 33, verses 38 and 39, that when Aaron died, he died in the 40th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt. He died in pretty much the last year. They spent 40 years wandering the wilderness. He died in that last year before the children uh, of Israel entered into the promised land. Based off that, we know this, that when we get to Numbers chapter 20 and verse 23, uh, where the story of Aaron's death begins, we know that at that point we have transitioned or we have fast-forwarded in the story about Uh, 38 years. That's without a doubt. We know by the time we get to Numbers 20 and verse 23, we are fast, we fast forward to the 40th year. And the events that take place from Numbers 20 to the end of the chapter all take place uh, in the last year of the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. However, let me just say this, uh, my assumption and my belief, and this is just an, an opinion and you can disagree with it if you'd like, but my belief is that the transition happens between chapter 19 and chapter 20. In fact, the fact that the chapter begins with Miriam's death uh, is a marker of the fact that we're going to fast forward now. There's 38 years we're skipping here. We're going to go from the first couple of years, the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness, uh, up through chapter 19. Of course, we dealt with Korah and all those things. And then we're going to transition into chapter 20, and what this is telling the, the, the writer, what the reader who would be familiar with this, when we bring up the death of Miriam, is that we've fast-forwarded uh, 38 years, and we are now at the end, uh, the last year of the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. Now, let me say this. We know for sure by the time we get to the end of chapter 20, we fast-forwarded because we know Aaron died on the 40th year. But the assumption is this, that we're told Miriam died in the first month of a non-given year, but she dies in the same chapter that Aaron dies, which seems to tie these things as close together and close to each other. And we know that uh, Aaron died on the fifth month of the 40th year. So the assumption is that Miriam died on the first month of the same year that Aaron died. She died four months before Aaron, which would make sense. They were already adults. They were already old uh, when they started the wilderness wanderings. Um, Moses was 80 years old when they started wandering in the wilderness, and Aaron would be just a little older than Moses. Miriam would be a little older than Aaron, and uh, so we see that Miriam dies here at an old age. Aaron dies as well, and the main thing I want you to notice is that the book is transitioning. We are transitioning uh, towards the end of the wilderness wanderings, uh, and though we're not at the end of the book of Numbers, there's still a lot of things that are going to happen and go on. You need to understand that at this point, 
The context is that they have been in the wilderness for a while. Now, sometimes people ask, what about all those years? What about all those years uh, in between? And I think what God is doing, he gives us all the highlights of all the really important stories and the things we need to know uh, as a result of them entering into, uh, coming out of Egypt, being at the promised land. They were there for about a year while being right with God. If you remember, they spent a year uh, getting ready to cross the wilderness to enter the promised land. The journey across the wilderness should have only taken a few weeks. As a result of the rebellion of the children of Israel and them refusing to enter the promised land, if you remember the 12 spies and the 10 spies that gave the evil report, God had them wander in the wilderness uh, for uh, 38 years, a total of 40 years. And of course, we, we saw all the highlights that we needed to see about Korah and the rebellions and the things that happened, Aaron's rod that budded, all those things were important things that happened in the first, second year of them wandering the wilderness. Then we transition, we just fast forward, right? If it was a movie, we'd just see them all moving fast through the wilderness. And then at the, we get to the 40th year, the last year before they enter, because some very important things happen there before Moses dies uh, and when they enter into the promised land. Now people ask, what about those 38 years? And the idea is this, that they spent 38 years wandering the wilderness. And there was nothing of note and nothing important. In fact, God doesn't even feel the need to mention anything about it. And here's an application for you just by way of introduction. Some of you have spent maybe 38 years, maybe not 38 years, but you spent some uh, years of your life wandering in the wilderness. And you know, as far as God is concerned, it doesn't need to be mentioned. It doesn't need to be brought up. You know, there's no, no history there that needs to be remembered or looked back on. You know, we should look forward in the Christian life. And these individuals spent 38 years of their life in the world, wandering the wilderness, doing nothing, accomplishing nothing. But notice that God says, just forget about it. Paul would say it this way, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. So we see the context here. We've transitioned. We've fast forwarded. We're at the end of the wilderness wanderings, but yet there's still much that'll happen in the next year before they enter into the promised land. Then we get into the story. It begins there in verse 2. Notice what it says. And there was no water for the congregation. There's two main thoughts I'd like to bring out to you regarding this story of Moses and hitting the rock. And if you'd like to jot these down or if you'd like to write them down, uh, there's a place for you to be able to do that uh, on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you to be able to write down some notes. The first thing I'd like you to notice is the problem of the ministry. And we're talking here about the, specifically about the ministry of Moses. But I want you to notice the problems that Moses finds in ministry, the problems that all of us find in ministry. They have wandered the wilderness now for 38 years, 40 years, and Miriam has died. Aaron is about to die later on in this chapter. And the Bible tells us the story that begins in verse 2, where it says that there was no water for the congregation. I'd like you to notice the response to the problem. When we look at the response to the problem, there's two ways, of course, to respond to any problem, the wrong way and the right way. And we see that the children of Israel, again, as is their nature, they respond the wrong way to this problem. Notice the wrong response there is at the end of verse 2. Let's just read verse 2. And there was no water for the congregation. Notice what the Bible says. And they, the congregation, gathered themselves together. Notice these words. Against Moses and against Aaron. 
And when you read the book of Numbers and you're just reading chapter after chapter after chapter, not really considering the context, you think, well, yeah, this is normal. This is what they do. When you consider the fact that we have now fast forwarded 38 years into the future and we read Numbers chapter 20 and it sounds just like Numbers chapter 19 and 18 and 17 and 16, you got to ask yourself this question, are these people ever going to change? And you know, in my life and in your life, if we continue to respond the same way to the same problems, at some point, God is going to look down on us and ask, are you ever going to change? Are you ever going to respond differently? Are you, are you ever going to respond differently to these problems? But notice, the Bible says that there was no water. And the children of Israel, true to form, they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Verse 3, and the people chode, that word chode is an archaic Word, we don't use it a lot today. It's the past tense of the word chide, which means to speak angry or displeased, to rebuke, to disapprove. The Bible says the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. I want you to notice their response was a response of criticism. They are criticizing. They're saying, they're, they're chiding with Moses, they're arguing with Moses, they're angry at Moses, they're just, uh, criticizing Moses, they're displeased with him, they're rebuking him, they're, they're voicing their disapproval and saying, what God, that we had died. And consider the fact that we're now 38 years uh, into the future and lots of people have died. Lots of individuals have died and they're saying, what God, that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Notice they respond with criticism. They also respond with complaining. Look at verse 4. Notice what they say. And why have ye brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? Notice verse 5. And wherefore, the word wherefore means for what reason have ye made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us in uh, unto this evil place it is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. So notice the wrong response. And the wrong response is usually the response that we give in, in our flesh. The, the natural response when problems arise, when issues arise, when you get to a place in life, you show up and you realize there's no water to drink. There's no water for the congregation. We're talking about a group of millions of people, not just millions of people, but cattle and all sorts of animals that they have with them. There's nothing for them to drink. There's a problem. And look, it's a legitimate problem and it's a real problem but human nature is this to always respond respond to problems with criticism and complaining they're criticizing the man of God they're complaining about their situation and I'll just say this you can complain all day all you want about problems complaining doesn't ever change anything doesn't fix anything criticizing doesn't fix anything so we see the wrong response they were critical, and they were complainers. Then I'd like you to notice, again, the right response. Now, this is a story where Moses looks bad, but he doesn't look bad yet. In fact, in verse 6, he gives the right response, and it's the response he's been giving throughout the book of Numbers. Notice Numbers chapter 20 and verse number 6. The Bible says this, And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they, make note of these words, fell upon their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. The Bible tells us that they 
fell upon their faces, while other people responded to this problem with criticism and complaining. Moses and Aaron responded to this problem with prayer. The Bible says they fell upon their faces. And, and, and I just want to say this. I believe that every problem that you and I have in life, every problem that we face, whether it's in ministry, whether it's your personal life, whether it's your professional life, what, your private life, whatever it might be, I believe that every problem we have in life is a prayer problem. And, and, and oftentimes, we minimize prayer and we forget about prayer and, and, and we, we tend to not pray. But I want you to notice that the right response here at this, at this moment was for Moses and Aaron to fall upon their faces. And notice what the Bible says. They fell upon their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. You and I have access to God, Almighty God. We have the ability to come into His throne. We have the ability to draw near to Him through prayer. And it is so often the case that we fail to pray. And I say to you that I believe every problem that we have is a prayer problem. There are things that my wife and I, that we're burdened about, things that we're worried about and we're concerned about, and not anything that I could share with you uh, Publicly, oftentimes in ministry, many of the burdens that we carry are private burdens. They cannot be shared uh, publicly, but yet we worry about them and, and, and we talk about it. And it's always interesting to me, whenever my wife and I get to the place where we just say, we, we need to just commit this thing to prayer. We need to just commit, uh, you and I, to just pray every day about this situation, to just pray every day about this problem, that God would, would do something and, and step in to this situation. It's always interesting to me when we decide to pray about a specific issue, problem, something we're burdened about, worried about in our life. It's always interesting to me how the glory of the Lord just happens to appear not soon after. That the, the glory of the Lord appears that God begins to work on the other side and hearts begin to melt and things begin to change. And it's always the same thing. We always think, why didn't we start praying about this earlier? And I would submit to you this morning that every problem you and I have is a prayer problem. And if we would just get in the habit of responding to our problems this way, to fall upon our faces before the Lord, that the glory of the Lord might appear. And might help us. So we see the response of the problem. We see the wrong response from the children of Israel, the criticism and the complaining. We see the right response from Moses and Aaron. They fell upon their faces and prayed. Then I'd like you to notice the reason for the problem. Notice verse number 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron and thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. And it, the it there is referring to the rock, it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beast uh, drink. I want you to notice that as a result of the right response, that Moses and Aaron fell upon their faces, then God answers the prayer, and in the prayer we see the reason for the problem. The reason for the problem was this. God said, I want you to speak unto the rock before their eyes. The there there is referring to the children of Israel. And it, the rock, shall give forth, notice this pronoun, 
his water. Who's the his? The rock. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. Let me just say this. When we look at this situation and we look at the reason for this problem, it's often the same reason for every problem. God allows problems in our lives so that we will turn to Him. God often allows problems in our lives so that He can supply our need. You don't have to turn here. I'll just read this for you. Psalm 119 and verse 71 says this, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn my statutes. And oftentimes, the reason that God allows problems in our lives is because maybe He hasn't heard from us in a while. Maybe it's been, I don't know, but maybe it's been 38 years since Moses and Aaron fell upon their faces. Sometimes I believe that God allows things to come into our lives because He wants to show Himself. Often God allows things uh, to come into our life because He wants to display Himself in our lives. He wants to show us that He's there and that He cares. He wants us to turn to Him. So if you find yourself facing a problem, and I'm sure many of you do, the Christian life is a life of problems. I often tell people, in the Christian life, you're either in a storm, you're either coming out of a storm, or you're getting ready to go into a storm. That's the Christian life. You're either getting ready to go into a storm, you're going through a storm, or you're coming out of the storm. Just get, get, get used to it. That's just the way it is. And oftentimes when we find ourselves in the midst of those storms, what we ought to ask ourselves is, what is it that God is trying to teach me through this? What is it that God wants to show to me? What is it that God wants me to do as a result of this problem? Because I have found when God is trying to teach us a lesson, it's in my best interest to learn the lesson as quickly as possible so that we can move on. So we see here the problems of ministry, the response and the reason. But then I'd like you to notice the pressure of ministry. Moses kind of loses it in this chapter. I want you to notice what sets Moses off. In verse 9, we see this, and Moses took the rod from before the Lord. Remember, God has already instructed him. God said, I want you to take the rod. I want you to go to the rock. I want you to speak to the rock. I want you to do this in their presence. He said, I want you to do this before their faces. He said there in verse 8, Speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. He said, it's very important, Moses, that you walk up to this rock and you speak to it. And when you do this, Moses, I want you to do, I want to make sure that everybody sees you do it. I want you to do it before their eyes. And then that rock, when you speak to that rock, it's going to, he, when you speak to him, when you speak, he, he's going to give you his water. But I want you to notice what Moses does, verse 9. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together. That's what they're supposed to do, right? What he's supposed to do is supposed to be done before their eyes. He gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, and here at this moment, in Numbers chapter 20 and verse 10, in the middle of the verse, at this comma, 
up to this point, everything has been good. Everything has been right. There has been a problem. They have responded appropriately. They have responded correctly. They fell upon their faces. God gave them instructions. He told them the reason for the problem was to show myself strong in this problem so that you might turn to me. I want you to speak to the rock, and I want you to do it before their eyes, and then the water is going to give forth uh, uh, water. But after the comma in the middle of of verse 10, chapter 20 and verse 10, is where everything kind of derails. I want you to notice it. Numbers 20, verse 10. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels. (laughs) And you can just tell this is not going to go well. It kind of goes downhill from here. Now let me just say this. The reason that Moses kind of goes off. By the way, God did not tell, them, tell Moses to tell them anything. He didn't say, call them rebels. and He said, speak to the rock. I want you to notice, Moses gets into trouble when he stops speaking to the rock and starts speaking to the people. He's not speaking to the rock, but he's speaking to his problems. Here now, ye rebels. Now, before we come down too hard on Moses, let me just give you a little bit of a background. Some of you know this, but maybe you're not familiar with this, or maybe uh, you don't remember it. Go to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. If you go backwards uh, from the book of Numbers, you'll go past the book of Leviticus into the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 17. Do me a favor. When you get there, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something, because we're going to leave it, and we're going to come back to it, and I want you to be able to get to it quickly. Exodus chapter number 17. Let me let you in on a little uh, part of this story that I think should be brought out and should be acknowledged. And it is this, that Moses has already dealt with this problem. In fact, Moses has already dealt with the same problem in the same place with the same people. Not necessarily the same people, but the same type of people. In fact, the descendants of the same people. Remember, in Exodus 20, we fast forward 38 years. They get to a place where there is no water. They complain and they chide against Moses. And God provides water from a rock. This already happened. It already happened 38 years earlier, 40 years earlier, in Exodus 17. Let's look at it. Exodus 17, look at verse 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandments of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim. Notice what the Bible says. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore, the people did, notice this word, chide with Moses. Remember the word chode in Numbers? It's the same word. It means to speak angry, displease, rebuke, disapprove, criticize, complain. The people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? Look at verse 3. And the people thirsted thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt? Notice this. To kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand, and go, 
Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it. Now, you might be reading this and thinking, Pastor, I think you're a little confused. This sounds like the exact same story. It sounds like a very similar story, but it's a different story. First of all, we know just from the context of the Bible that this happened, there's 38 years that have happened between these two stories. But even if you just look at the story, you'll notice that there are some differences. First of all, here in Exodus 17, notice that there's all these references to Egypt. In verse 3, wherefore, if thou, uh, if this thou hast brought us up out of Egypt. In the other, in Numbers, they say, would to God we had died in the wilderness. Here they're saying, why did you bring us from Egypt? The reason they say in Exodus, why did you bring us from Egypt? Because these people just came out of Egypt. The reason they say, why didn't you just kill us in the wilderness? Is because those people have grown up in the wilderness and they've seen many of the elders of the nation die in the wilderness. Notice verse 5. And the Lord said unto Moses, go on before the people and take with thee notice of the elders of Israel. In Exodus 17, he's supposed to take the elders of Israel and thy rod. In number 17, he's not supposed to take the elders of Israel. He's supposed to take Aaron. Now, why is, does, does, the Bible, does God tell him, not tell him to take Aaron in Exodus 17? The reason for it is because Aaron has not really taken the position of a high priest and the position of prominence yet at this point. So he takes the elders of Israel with him. Why is he not told to take the elders of Israel in Numbers 19 to speak to the rock? The reason for it is because they're all dead. Because they've been in the wilderness for 40 years. Remember, that generation has died. So in Exodus 17, he's supposed to take the elders of Israel and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take it in thine hand, and go. And just in case you think, well, I don't know, I think it's still the same story. If all those circumstantial evidence aren't enough to convince you, then this should convince you. The instructions given to Moses are different. In Exodus 17 and verse 6, the Bible says this, Behold, this is God speaking to Moses, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite. The word smite means to hit. Thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses uh, did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because the children of Israel, uh, because the chiding of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? So notice the instructions in Exodus 17 was for Moses to take his rod and to smite the rock. And when he hit the rock, then God would allow water to come out of the rock. There shall come water out of it and the people may drink. In Numbers 20, the instructions were not to smite the rock, but to speak to the rock. In fact, that's what gets Moses into trouble. When Moses loses it, and when Moses blows up, he fails to speak to the rock and he smites the rock. He does in Numbers 20, 38 years later, what he did in Exodus 17, 38 years earlier. The difference is that 38 years earlier, God said, smite the rock. In number 17, God said, speak to the rock. Go to Numbers 20. Go back to Numbers 20. Keep your place there in Exodus 17. So do you get the background, and do you see why maybe Moses would be upset about this? He's already dealt with the same problem at the same place with the same type of people. By the way, let me say this. You say, why would God do this? The exact same problem? Remember, when we left the children of Israel in Exodus 19... They went on a little journey that took 38 years. 
They have been doing nothing, accomplishing nothing, wandering in the world and wandering in the wilderness. They have been backslidden for the last 38 years and now as a people, as the children of Israel, they're coming back to God towards the end of that because God wants to start working with them to prepare them. He says, the 40 years are up. I gave you a 40-year punishment. 40 years are up. Now I want to start working with you and prepare you to enter into the promised land. But notice, when God brings them back, they have to deal with the same problems and the same type of problems that they dealt with when they left. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? 40 years earlier, they were having issues of not having water. They were having issues of complaining and criticizing. They're having issues of chiding with their spiritual leadership and, 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 and rebelling against Moses and rebelling against God. They were dealing with that 40 years earlier. When they come back, God says, let me bring you right back to a place where there is no water. Let me bring you right back to a thing that we've already dealt with. And here's all I'm saying. Whatever it is, when you decide to backslide, when you decide to leave, when you decide, I hope it's not true and I hope it never happens in your life but when and if you ever decide to quit on God whatever problem it was that was before you that caused you to quit that caused you to get bitter that caused you to get angry that it caused you to quit on God and leave and, and, and not serve God let me tell you something when you wake up eight years later or 38 years later and decide to come back to God you're gonna have to still deal with that same problem Whatever causes you to leave God, God will cause you to deal with it when you get back. God is not the public school system. He doesn't just let you graduate. doesn't just let you move on to the next, uh, to the next uh, grade, whether, whether you've done the work or not. God puts a trial and affliction, something before you, because he's trying to work on you, because he's trying to draw you closer to him. And if that trial and that affliction and that pressure and that problem causes you to quit and causes you to wander and causes you to waste a bunch of time out in the world and wilderness, that's fine. But when you decide to get back, that problem will still be there for you. The prodigal son left because he was mad at his dad. But when he left on his journey and he came to the end of himself... When he came back home, he still had to deal with his dad. So we see that God is purposely causing them to deal with the same types of things that they dealt with 38 years earlier. A new generation, a different generation, the children of the people we read in Exodus 17. But I want you to get the background. This is why Moses is so upset. He's already done this. He's already dealt with this problem in this place with these people. Now I want you to notice... Now that we've seen the background, let's look at the blow-up. Look at verse 10. This is Moses, not at his finest. Numbers chapter 20, verse 10. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of the rock. You say, what is it that Moses did wrong here? Well, there's one major thing that Moses did wrong. And it's found in verse number 11. And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod, he smote the rock twice. I remember God earlier told Moses to smite the rock in Exodus 17. 38 years later, same problem, same place, same people. God tells Moses to speak to the rock. But Moses, out of his anger, smites the rock twice. That's what he did wrong. 
But I want you to notice that there's some things that he did leading up to that that I think they're worth noting. Verse 10, And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels. The first thing I want you to notice is that he got angry with people that were not his. He's mad at these people. And Moses, and I understand this, Moses, for every, for whatever it's worth, he feels like these are his people. He's been shepherding them. He's been providing for them. He's been protecting them. He's been judging for them and, 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 and bringing leadership into their life. He feels like these are his people. He is their pastor. He is their leader. And to some extent, they are his people. But Moses has to remember that at the end of the day, these are the people of God. He gets mad at these people. He gets angry with the people as though they were his. He gets angry with people that are not his. Now, there's a lesson for us as pastors to remember that though we lead in ministry and we pastor in ministry, we need to be careful to always remember that the people that call us pastor and the people that call the church that I pastor uh, uh, their home church and call me their pastor, call my wife their pastor's wife, at the end of the day, we always have to remember that you are the people of God. You belong to God. As leaders, we must always remember that the people are not ours, they are God's. And you say, well, that applies to a pastor. Yes, we can see that. But let me just say this. It applies to all leadership. Hey, husband, listen to me. You think because the Bible says that your wife is supposed to submit to you, that you have the right to treat her like garbage? You have the right to treat her like crap? That you have the right to treat her like an idiot or an imbecile. You, she can't even speak to you. She must walk. You know, sometimes I look at so-called Baptist husbands and I think, are you, you're more of a Muslim than you are a Baptist. Your wife can't look you in the eye. She can't address you. You know, she can't say anything to you. Hey, let me tell you something. That, she's, she's not yours. She's God's. She's a child of God. And, and to treat your wife that way let me just say it as plainly as I can, men. You're an idiot. God has given you a woman to be a helpmeet in your life, to help you in life. God has given her wisdom and discernment and ability to see things. And I'm so thankful in my own life that I've allowed to not uh, uh, just be the pastor of this church, but my wife and I really serve here as a team. And so often her thoughts and her insight, her judgment and her discernment has been something that has helped me so much in ministry. And I look at some men and I think to myself, God gave you someone to help you and you just constantly are putting them down and shutting them down. Down. She doesn't belong to you. By the way, let me say this, parents. Children are in heritage of the Lord. They do not belong to you. Yesterday, my wife and I were in an airport, and we were at a checkout getting something, getting water. There was this man with his children. I don't know. I'm sure he's traveling. He's busy. He's, I'm sure there was the tired and pressure. But his kid accidentally clicked the wrong thing on the self-checkout. He just starts yelling at him and, and just and to the point where the cashier has to like go and it's like trying to break up this fight. And I'm just thinking to myself, we act this way towards people when we think they belong to us. And God has given me children, God has given me a wife, and God, by His grace, has given me a congregation, but none of those are mine, they're His. Amen. I've been put in a position of leadership to be a servant leader. Not necessarily to serve them, but to serve them through leadership. My job is to lead them for their benefit. 
We see one problem with Moses is that he gets angry with these people as though they were his. And though these people, there's not much good to say about them. They're still the people of God. And by the way, that can be said of you and me. Why don't you notice the second thing that Moses does here that's wrong leading up to this problem. First he gets mad. He, he got angry with people that were not his people. Hear now, ye rebels. God never told you to say that. But then I want you to notice what Moses says. He says, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And when I read it, I think, he says, must we? And I think to myself, really, Moses? We? Are you, you and Aaron are, are going to make water come out of this rock? Is that what's happening here? Must we? He's talking about himself and Aaron. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? Let me tell you something. Some issues with Moses were this, that he got angry with people that were not his, and he took credit for something he did not do. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? You're not bringing water out of that rock, Moses. God is. And look, let me just say, because sometimes people criticize God, even from this own chapter. They look at God and they say, God, you kind of come down hard on Moses. As a result of this episode, Moses is not going to be allowed to enter into the promised land. And oftentimes our thoughts are these. Well, God, you're kind of being mean to Moses here. But look, understand this. He is uh, treating these people. He gets angry with these people that were not his. And he takes credit for something he did not do. Most we fetch you water. Hey, Moses, give God the glory. You're not bringing water out of this rock. And look, I can tell you, I understand how frustrating it is for people to take credit. I understand why God gets so angry. It's, it can be frustrating when people take credit for things that they've not done. I mean, me, even my own staff, God bless them. <laughs> I've had situations, I mean, just at these work days, there's been times at these work days where some, somebody shows up early, they've been working for a long time. I go to one of the staff guys and I say, hey, I'd like you to, let's pick up coffee for brother so-and-so. And I hear him get on the phone and say, hey, brother, I'm picking you up coffee. What do you want? And I think to myself, really? Really? Is that what's going on here? You're picking up a coffee? Are you going to pay for it? Because I think what's going on here is that I asked you to pick up coffee for them. And I'm paying for it. And that is frustrating. By the way, let me just do a little staff training. You staff men, when pastor asks you to pick up groceries for a, company that, for a, a, a family that's maybe struggling, when you drop off those groceries, the appropriate thing to say is, pastor asked me to drop this off. When pastor is out of town and he asks you to maybe do a hospital visit to somebody that's in the hospital, the appropriate thing for you is to walk into that room and say, pastor asked me to stop by. It's frustrating sometimes, and I can understand why God is looking down at Moses, and he says, must we fetch you water? And God's probably like, really, Moses, you're going to do this? I'm curious. How are you going to do that, Moses? Moses got angry with people that were not his. And he took credit for something that he did not do. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? We see that Moses goes off under pressure. Look, he's cracking under pressure. And I, my heart goes out to him. There's lots of pressure in ministry. By the way, let me just say this. We must always remember that those who lead us, even the greatest of men, the best of men are men at best. We have feet of clay. Your leader, your pastor, your husband, your parents, they're going to disappoint you at some point. They're going to say something they shouldn't have said. 
They're going to do something they shouldn't have done. They're going to speak out in anger. So we see that Moses has a very low point here. He disobeys God. Look at verse 11. And Moses lifted up his hand. And with his rod, he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their beast also. We saw what set Moses off, but let's just quickly see what sets God off. God gets very upset about this. In fact, God gets so upset that he tells Moses, because of this, because of this episode, Aaron's going to die, you're going to die, and you're going to die in the next year. You're not going to go into the wilderness because of this. Aaron dies in the next chapter. Moses dies later on in the year. But Moses, who spent his whole life trying to get the children of Israel into the promised land, fails to enter the promised land because of this. Because he smote the rock when God said, speak to the rock. You say, well, what's the big deal? I don't get it. Well, let me explain to you what set God off, what upset God. The first thing is that Moses destroyed the symbolism. One of the reasons that God was doing this, if you remember, we've been learning this in the book of Hebrews, is that all throughout the Old Testament, there are these stories. The book of Corinthians tells us that they are set as an ensample for us. We can learn things from them. They're symbolic. And God was actually setting up a story here that was supposed to be symbolic, but Moses messed it up. He destroyed the symbolism. You say, what was the symbolism? Go back to Exodus 17. Look at verse 6. Exodus 17, verse 6. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock of Horeb. This is God speaking to Moses. And thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it. He said, I want you to smite the rock. I want you to hit the rock, and water is going to come out. And then, 40 years later, 38 years later, whatever it was, Numbers 20, verse 8. Notice notice what he says. Go back to Numbers 20, verse 8. Take the rod. And gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron, thy brother, and speak unto the rock before their eyes. Don't hit it, just speak to it. And it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So shalt thou give the congregation and their be strength. You say, I don't get it. What's the big deal? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. What's the big deal about this? The big deal is that this rock represented something very important. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye would be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank, notice it, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. The Bible tells us that there was a rock that they drank out of, and that spiritual rock that followed them, that rock was Christ. This rock is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, all throughout the Bible, Jesus was pictured as a rock. That's why I believe when Jesus said, I will build my church, he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. He's not referring to Peter, the supposed first pope. We're not Catholic. He's talking about himself. He's the rock. The rock was Christ. Say, well, what's the problem here? The picture, what was supposed to happen was this. That Moses walks up to the rock, which represents Christ, and he smites it. And it provides water. And then, 38 years later, 40 years later, whatever it is, 
He walks up to a rock that represents Christ, and he speaks to it, and it brings forth water. In the Bible, water is pictures salvation. Remember uh, the woman at the well? He said, if you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I shall give you, you'll never thirst. And the picture was supposed to be this, that the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, was to be smitten. Isaiah says, stricken. He was supposed to be beaten. He was supposed to be punished. For with his stripes we are healed. The rock was supposed to get smited, and as a result, salvation flows out, water flows out, access flows out. But that only has to happen once, because when Jesus paid for our sins, he was able to pay for the sins of the whole world one time. So what about the rest of humanity? For the rest of humanity, what was the rest of humanity supposed to do? To get water from the rock, to get salvation from the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to smite him again, you just have to speak to him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This was supposed to be a picture of salvation, that the rock gets smitten once, and then from then on, we just speak to the rock, we just ask the rock. He said, if you knew the gift that that I want to give you, that God wants to give you, Jesus tells the woman at the well, you would have asked of him. You would have spoken to him. You would have called upon him in faith, and he would have saved you. That was the picture God wanted. But Moses, in his anger, messed it up. He smote the rock twice. And God said, Moses, that makes me very upset. So you see that Moses destroyed the symbolism. Maybe that helps you understand why God is so upset with Moses. But that's not the only thing. I want you to notice, not only do we see, go back to Numbers chapter 20, if you would. Not only do we see Moses' destroyed symbolism, we also see Moses' divine vandalism. Because <laughs> I want you to notice, God says, speak to the rock. What does he do? Look at verse 11 again, Numbers 20, verse 11. And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod, he smote the rock Twice, and the water came out abundantly. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Is that this is not the first time we see Moses break something that belongs to God. Let's look at it quickly. Go back to Exodus 32. Remember Moses coming, he was up on the mount, meeting with God. He comes down with the Ten Commandments, the two tablets that God wrote on them, with this, God gave to Moses, and he wrote on them with the finger of God. And Moses comes down from the mount, and what have the children of Israel decided to do? They've decided to get naked and dance around a golden calf and worship a golden calf. And Moses is angry, and justifiably so. But notice in Exodus 32 and verse 19, the Bible says this, And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh into the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and broke them. What tables? God's tables! The Ten Commandments that God gave him. And he broke them beneath uh, the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon water and made the children of Israel drink of it. Here we see that Moses, in his anger, breaks the tablets, the Ten Commandments of God. 
40 years later, in his anger, breaks the rock. Moses, what's interesting about Moses is that we see these outbursts of anger from Moses from time to time. But he wasn't like this every day. In fact, the Bible even tells us that Moses, go to Numbers chapter 12. Look at verse 3. Moses, Moses, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Some of you are looking for the book of Moses. Numbers 12, verse 3. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. He was the meekest man on earth, meaning he was humble. He was meek. He controlled himself. The Bible tells you he was the meekest man on earth, but yet from time to time, he had a temper. He breaks the tablets. He breaks the stones. I don't know about you, but to me, this is, to me, this is kind of encouraging. It's encouraging to me that the Bible is not just filled with stories about great men at their highs, but the Bible is filled with stories about those great men at their lows. And it reminds us that we are on a journey. And sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we fail. Say, well, what is there to do? Get back up and try again. We see this great man, Moses, who in anger is angry at the people that are not his, takes credit for something he did not do. We see his not only destroyed symbolism, but we see his divine vandalism. And I think God just got to the point like, Moses, you've just kind of broken one too many things of mine. You broke my tablets. Okay, now you're breaking my rock. This has, it's got to stop. By the way, let me just say this. If you get so angry, you break things, it needs to stop. It's not okay. You're a grown man. You're a grown woman. Time to start acting like one. Numbers 20. Look at verse 9. So there's the story. Let me just end real quickly with three quick applications, and we'll finish up. Three quick applications for you. By the way, let me just say this about the rock. In, in 1 Corinthians, we're told that the rock followed them. That spiritual rock followed them. And I don't necessarily believe that there was actually a rock rolling behind them for 40 years following them. But the idea is this, that when they needed the rock, it was there. And 40 years later, when they needed the rock again, it was there. And you know, the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, will always be there when you need him. He'll always be there for you. Let me just finish real quick with these three quick applications. Look at Numbers 20 and verse 9. The Bible says this, And Moses took the rod from before the Lord and he commanded, as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Just real quick, three applications. We'll finish up. Okay, we'll be done in five minutes. Here's the first application. It is a privilege to be in the work of God. It is a privilege to be in the work of God. Let me finish. So don't get disgruntled with people. Here we see Moses, he's, he's not mad at God, he's mad at them. Hear now, ye rebels! 
But let us always remember that it is a privilege to be used of God. It is a privilege to be in the work of God. It is a privilege to serve God. And let's not get disgruntled because of people. It's interesting to me how often people quit a church, not because God failed them, not because the word of God failed them, not even oftentimes because I failed them, although I may fail them at some point, or my wife failed them, or or the staff failed them, but just because they get disgruntled with people. I got to quit coming to this church because all the people. I can't get along with the people. I have to go find another church. Well, let me let you in on a little secret. There's going to be people there too. And it's just interesting to me how people, they, they, they start serving as an usher. They start serving on the safety team. They start serving in the choir or in the orchestra. They start serving God. And if you ask them when they first started, why are you serving God? Because I love God. Why? Because I love my church. Because I love my pastor. Because I love the ministry. Because I, I, I want to help. this. And then fast forward, maybe not 38 years later, but 3.8 years later, and it's like, ah, everybody in the orchestra, ah, everybody in the ushers, ah, everybody on the safety team. And it's like, why, are you, why did you start again? Did you start serving because of people? Well, they don't do what they're supposed to do. They're never where they're supposed to be. They never start on time. They never practice. They never this. And look, and I get that, and I understand all that, but let's always remember that it is a privilege to serve God, and we don't do what we do because of people. Now, look, I want everybody to serve with excellence. It's a theme of our church. But we must always remember that it is a privilege to be in the work of God. Don't get disgruntled because of people. I want you to notice a second application. It's there in verse 11. Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. Now, if, if you and I were God, and if we were telling the story, here's what it would say. He smote the rock twice, and then nothing happened. Isn't that what you and I would do? Because Moses disobeyed God. We have his uh, destroyed symbolism. We have his divine vandalism. He has gone against God. But I want you to notice what the Bible says. The Bible says that he failed. He smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly. Even though Moses did the wrong thing, God still provided the water. He provided it abundantly. I don't know how much water this was, but I know this. There was millions of people there with cattle. I'm sure a lot of water was gushing out of that rock. It's interesting to me that though God gave instructions to Moses and said, I want you to do this, and I want you to do it this way, and Moses failed to do it, God still did what he said he would do. Water came out abundantly. And let me just remind all of us that God often, often works not because of us, but in spite of us. It is a privilege to be in the work of God. So let's not get disgruntled with people. And before we start getting so high-minded that we start looking down on everybody, let's remember that God, if God uses us for anything, He often does it, not because of us, but in spite of us. He uses us, though if we were honest, we are unworthy to be used. And let me give you the last application, and we'll finish this out. It's in verses 12 and 13 there. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because ye believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. 
Here's the third application. It's just a verse. Luke 12, 48. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. You know, God expected a lot from Moses. And as a result, God came down pretty hard on Moses. And the Bible tells us that Moses was not allowed into the promised land. Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Verse 13, this is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. Now, let me just say this. in, In one minute, I'll say this in closing. You say, we leave Moses here on a low. But did he ever repent? Did he ever get right with God? Well, consider this. Who's writing this? It's Moses. Moses is writing, documenting for us this story in Numbers chapter 20. So did he ever repent? I think the story is his repentance. Did he ever get right? Yeah, I think he's writing this saying, here's where I messed up. Here's where I failed. I did not get to enter the promised land. But then I have to ask the question, did Moses enter the promised land? And the answer is no. But maybe yes. Because when we fast forward, not 38 years, but several thousand years, we get to the nation of Israel. We get to the Lord Jesus Christ. We get to the famous Mount of Transfiguration. And you know who meets Jesus there on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses. It's interesting to me that Jesus kind of snuck him in there at the end. We can always get right. We can always repent. Even when we fail, we can always get up the next day and say, I'll do better. I'll try better. His mercies are new every day. Great is thy faithfulness. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this story. It's a little complicated until we start to unravel it. We start to dissect it. We start to look at great men like Moses and realize they're not much different than us. Lord, I pray you'd help us. I pray you'd help us to never look at the people that you've given us to lead as our people. They're not ours. Those children you've given us, they belong to you. For those of us that are married, that wife, she belongs to you. If we lead in any capacity, those are your children. They belong to you. Help us to never treat people that aren't ours like they are ours. Help us to never take credit for things we have done, we haven't done as though we have done it. Help us to always control our emotions and our anger not allow it to get the best of us. And we're not, I'm not looking down on Moses. Great man. But if it can happen to Moses, it can happen to us. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn and take heed to these lessons. And we thank you for the rock. That though Moses messed up the illustration, we know it's still true. We can call upon that rock. It will follow us through life. It will always be there when we need it. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Matt come up and lead us in a final song. just want to remind you a couple of things. First of all, I want to remind the men that we...